morning. Not to be a downer and all, but we're going to start a series called Frustrated. That sounds bad, doesn't it? Because whether we like to admit it or not, life's frustrating. Um, I don't care if you're young or old. I don't care what your color is or your gender may be. If you're rich or you're poor, there are life challenges that face each one of us and they're unique to each one of us. And so we're going to talk about this series, Frustrated, and why that is. Why is it that our finances get jacked up? Why is it that our relationships are hard to maintain in a peaceful way? Why is it that it doesn't matter, it seems, where you work, what line of work you're in, how long you've done it, there's work frustrations, why there's tragedy of, uh, tragedies in life that rock us to our core. I mean, they leave us frustrated, and sometimes, if we're honest, those challenges push us to our very limit. So it sort of begs the question, and this is the question we're going to be asking for three weeks is, why? Why is life so hard? If there's a God who is good, who made us and loves us and is for us, why does it seem like life is so hard sometimes? Well, I got good news. For the next three weeks, we're going to make sense of that question. And not only make sense of it, I believe we're going to be able to find peace. In the midst of all the frustrations of life, there is peace for you and I. That sounds like good news, doesn't it? So for, for the next two weeks, here's your challenge. I want you to bring somebody with you. This is going to be a great series to invite your friends and your neighbors and your family to come and hear how they, even though the frustrations are real, they can have peace, God's peace in the midst of it. So this morning, we're going to get that started by asking who or with what we're struggling with. If we're going to figure out how to overcome our struggles and our frustrations, we got to know who or what it's against. And if I were to go into these rooms right back here and talk to your kids and get on the floor and say, who is our enemy? Who is it that keeps frustrating our life? Guess what they would say? They would not say mom. They would say the devil, wouldn't they? They would say the devil. But if I were to walk around this room and say, why is it that we're having problems in our life? We would be too mature for that, wouldn't we? I mean, we kind of treat Satan like the boogeyman, like, okay, I know maybe whatever, but not really. That's not really the problem in my life. Satan, really? And the reason I know that you feel that way and I feel that way sometimes is a study that the Barna Group did not that long ago, and 60% of Christians either agreed or strongly agreed with this statement. Listen to this. They agreed that Satan is not a living being but is a symbol of evil. 60% of people that claim to follow Jesus Christ said that they agreed with that statement. So here's the deal, guys. we got to know who he is, where he came from, how powerful he is, and how do we resist him. You ready for that? Uh, there's a movie not that long ago, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You ever have a movie you just pop in and want to lose yourself and know all the lines? That's, my, that's one of my movies. And Everett's talking about Satan, and he described him as this, a red scaly with a bifurcated tail and carries a hay fork. Now, is that who we're dealing with? Not even close. So we're going to look at the Bible, what it has to say about who this enemy is and what God's plan is for him. This is a passage maybe you've not seen before. We're going to actually go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 28 and look at several passages here. This is the description the prophet that God inspired to write wrote about Satan. It says this. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
You were in Eden, the garden of God. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes were prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Till iniquity was found in you. In this description of our enemy, let's just call him who he is. His name is Lucifer. And we learn lots of things about who he is and what he's like. The first thing I want you to notice is that he was perfect. Have you ever just kind of been overcome? Maybe you're, you're on a mountain and you're overlooking the beauty of a valley and you get overcome by its beauty. Or you're holding a newborn baby and you just are overcome by how perfect that child looks to you. Or maybe you're standing at the altar and you look down the aisle and you see your bride about to enter and come to you and you get goosebumps because she's so beautiful. That is what Satan, Lucifer, was like. He was so beautiful. He was perfect to behold and awesome in beauty. Not only that, he he had stature. I want you to notice that it said he was an anointed cherub. Now, don't let the fat little babies on TV fool you. Okay, when we think about a cherub, it's not that. A cherub was actually one of the most high-ranking beings that God created. It's the same creatures that God sent to the garden to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden when he pushed them out of the garden. It's the same creatures that surround the throne of God and are always worshiping God and giving praise to God. Those are cherubs. So he had stature in the eyes of God. I also want you to notice where he was. It said he was in Eden, but he also said this. He said, you were on the holy mountain of God. That means Lucifer was in God's presence, and he saw God face to face, and he ate at his table, and he knew his favor, and he experienced God's love. He was also created with musical abilities. It said the timbrels and the pipes were created for him. Those are musical instruments that God had Lucifer play for him. And he led worship in heaven. If there was the voice in heaven, Satan crushes it, okay? Hands down, he's the best singer. Hands down, he's the best musician. Hands down. That's why God had created him. And it even says God created Lucifer good. Because after this, on the sixth day of creation, God pauses from all his work in creating all the world that we see. And it says this, God saw all that he had made in heaven and on earth. God saw all that he had made and it was what? Very good. God looked around and he says, I like it. Everything I made, I like this, including the the angelical beings in heaven and on the earth below. I like what I've created. We say, if that's true, then what happened? What happened? This is what happened. If you keep reading Ezekiel 28, I know this passage, it has really two layers to it. Uh, if you're a Bible scholar, this is written about the king of Babylon. And there was a, that was an evil uh, um, a dictator in that day. But I also want, want you to realize this is a very vivid description of what happened to Satan himself. It says this in verses 16 to 17. It says, Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. 
your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. Satan was the most beautiful, perfect thing that God had created in heaven above. And that, my friends, was his downfall. His pride got the best of him. And he wanted more. He wanted more than be surrounding the throne of God. He wanted to be on the throne of God. He wanted to be God himself. The passage said, by the abundance of your trading, that's a metaphor talking about competition. And the fact is that Satan was not content with the standing and the position that God had given him. He was not content with worshiping God and leading worship of God. He wanted to be worshiped in place of God. And that pride in him caused him to rebel. And it filled him with violence. And he led a coup in heaven. And he tried to overthrow the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He tried to overthrow God himself. That didn't work out so good for him. And God humbles him. And he was cast to earth. And I want you to think about this. All that is leading up to say this. When our enemy was defeated by God and cast to earth, he turns his attention off the throne of God and he turned his attention onto you and me. He turned his attention off of overthrowing God and he turned his attention on mankind. And he said, if I can't defeat God, then I'll defeat his favorites. If I can't defeat God, then I'm going to frustrate their lives. If I can't have it my way, then they're not going to have it his way. And he turned his attention on you and me. He went for Adam and Eve. He deceived them. He tricked them. He lied to them. He betrayed them. And in one lie, they, just, they, they, they believed the lie. Adam knew what he was doing and he disobeyed God. And they sinned. And from that moment on, we've been living in the aftermath. We've been living with the consequences of sin from that day forward. You and I were born into a world that is still feeling the consequences of that one choice. Sin always has a consequence, does it not? I mean, we can find forgiveness from sin and we can find restoration from sin. But when you and I disobey the God of heaven and the God of hosts, then there's always consequences to our sin. And we're living in those consequences today. We know that story, but I'm not sure we all know the ending of that story. See, in Genesis chapter 3, God visits with Adam and Eve and Satan himself, and he brings upon them a curse. I want you to read this with me. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 14 and 15. It says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And in this one moment, Satan himself was cursed. Not cussed, cursed. Cursed is that God would punish Satan. And cursing, if you want to think of it this way, is the opposite 
of a blessing. In, in, in Satan's case, it's instead of God working with him and for him, that God was now going to be working against him in opposition to him. He tells them that you're going to have to crawl on your belly and eat dust. What was Satan's great sin that caused him to rebel? It was pride, right? So in his pride, what does God do? God brings him low and he says, I'm going to humiliate you. I'm going to cause you to eat the dust of your earth. You're going to live your life in, with your face to the ground in humiliation. And so God humbles him, the serpent. He also says, I will put enmity between you and the, and the woman and her offspring. Enmity means active opposition or, or hostility. Now, I've got to ask you a question. How many of you hate snakes? A good number. I hate them too. I hate them. And there's a reason for that is God said, you will. I'm going to put enmity between them. I just don't like how they move. Are you with me? It's unnatural. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. I was working in the woodpile uh, this weekend. It reminded me a few years ago I was working in my woodpile, and I had moved some wood, and I had gone to the trash can, and when I turned around, there was a seven-foot black snake right there by the woodpile. And it was a black snake, I found out later. But I didn't stick around to find out. I got my shovel, and I took his head off, okay? <laughs> and everyone was like, oh, they're good snakes. I said, there's no such thing as a good snake. But they eat the rodents. I'll put up with rodents. I don't want a seven-foot snake in my backyard. So as I was walking, you should have saw me walking through the woodpile this weekend. I was using a shovel, pulling stuff out. I don't like them, man. Not only do we feel weird about snakes, guys, there's way more to it than that. It also means this enmity goes both ways. And Satan hates us. He hates you and me. He wants to destroy us. And if he can't destroy us, he wants to at least frustrate us. He hated Adam and Eve, and he's hated everyone since then with a severe passion. And every time he sees us, he's reminded that he used to be around the throne of heaven, and now he's cast to earth. And he was reminded, he gets reminded that he used to have glory, and now he's eating dust. And every time he sees us, we are made in the image of God himself. And when he sees us, he's reminded of God himself, and he remembers how much he hates God. And so he hates us too. He's ticked off. He's ticked off about it. And that's why life is so frustrating. I mean, I want you to hear this. I know your work is frustrating. We're going to spend a whole week on that in a couple weeks. I get it. But the, the enemy is not your boss, and it's not your client, and it's not your pay scale, and it's not your coworkers. Your real enemy is an invisible enemy, and he's real. And I get it. Marriage is hard, and family's hard, and... You know, sometimes we think my spouse is against me or my, fa my family would just be this way. Let me tell you something. They are not the enemy. They're not the source of your frustration. There is a real invisible enemy trying to mess up your day every single day. I got to tell you this. He wants the worst for you. He wants the worst for your, for your family. 
He wants to destroy your family unit. He wants to destroy the relationships in your family. He wants to cause bitterness and anger and resentment to reside in your home. He wants the worst for your finances. He wants you in debt. He wants you frustrated. He wants you to uh, have no peace and be stressed out about your finances. That's what he wants for your finances. If he can take you down physically, he will. He wants you to be as unhealthy as possible. He wants your career to suffer. He wants every aspect of your life to be ruined. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to do three things, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do in your life and mine. Now, with this curse, I love this, guys. I didn't read you the whole verse. If that was the end of the sermon, we'd be the sorriest group of people there is on the planet. But let me tell you something. I didn't finish the sentence. I didn't finish the verse. This curse comes with a promise, and it's a beautiful promise. It's something that we can count on when the frustrations of life are real. Check this out. He's saying there'll be enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he says this, he will crush your head, Satan, and you, Satan, will strike his heel. He said, there's a day coming that something's going to happen and Satan, you're going to be defeated permanently. Someone is going to come along and crush you. He's going to crush your head. What does it mean by that? I'm going to give you another example that's going to shed light on what's going on here. Look at Galatians 3.16 and it says this. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is who? Christ. Now, this is an example of a promise given to Abraham. In this promise in Genesis 12, Abraham didn't fully understand it. He didn't know the name Christ. But what we learn later through the apostle Paul, God reveals, is that was a a metaphor of the coming Christ to Abraham. Can I tell you something, guys? In this passage in Genesis, when he's talking to Adam and Eve, and he says there's somebody's coming who's going to crush Satan's head, there is only one person that could be, and his name is Jesus Christ. That Jesus would have come. Three chapters into your Bible, Jesus is not named by name, but he is real and there as a promise to you and I. That Satan might have won the day, but he will not win the war. Satan might have won that round, but he's going to lose the fight. There is a day where all things will be made right because Jesus Christ will make it so. Man, that is good news. So the he in this passage is Jesus Christ. You know what's so beautiful about this? I love how specific the Bible is. Because he said Satan was going to bruise Jesus' heel. Did you catch that? What does that mean? Did you know that on a Roman cross, the way Jesus was crucified, it was a, it was a form of torment because you would have to, you would get nailed to it and you'd have to pull yourself up to exhale and blow out and then you could breathe in again. And, and the Roman crucifixion was, a, it was just a matter of time. It was how exhausted you would be before you could no longer have the strength to pull yourself up and exhale and breathe again. And in order to do so, you had to get the back of your foot hard onto that cross and push with all that you had in order to breathe. And so the back of your Savior's heel and my Savior's heel would have been bloodied and bruised as he fought for his breath on the cross. 
See, Satan, you might bruise his heel that day. But on that same cross, 2,000 years ago, Jesus crushed Satan's head. What do I mean by that? See, the sin that entered the world when Satan deceived Eve and he caused Adam to disobey God, when he did that, sin entered the world and death through sin. And those two things have been haunting us ever since. Sin and death. Sin and death. They are reigning on our parade for thousands of years. Yet on a cross, 2,000 years ago, there's two things Jesus took care of. Sin and death. He took care of sin because he took the sins of the world upon himself. He took everything you've ever done and I've ever done and you've ever done that was in disobedience to God himself and he took that sin upon himself and he paid the price for it. And the death that you and I deserve because of sin, Jesus Christ paid that death on a cross so that you and I can know life. Yeah. Satan crushed him that day. I mean, Jesus crushed Satan that day. He crushed him completely and totally. You know what that means? Jesus has already won. He's already the victor. Whatever your frustration is and your frustration is and yours and mine, every single frustration in life, God is greater than the source of that frustration. Because the, the, the source is Satan and he's already beat him. It's not your spouse. It's not your boss. It's not your neighbor. It's Satan. Now hear me clear. God does not promise to remove every frustration from our life. Hear me clear on that. He's not promising to remove every frustration. What he is promising, although that day is coming, isn't it? There is going to be a day where every frustration will be gone. My son asked me this week, is there any crying in heaven? And I said, no, man, God wipes every tear from our eye. He said, what about tears of joy? I said, I think he got me. <laughs> I think he got me. I think he'll allow those. But every single frustration will be removed. There is a day coming when he will remove the frustrations and we will know life as God intended in perfect harmony and unity and peace and love and joy before our God. But until that day, guys, he does promise to give us life and peace in the midst of the frustrations. That's his promise to you and I. And the same victory that Christ won on the cross is our victory every day. Look at this passage with me. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. It says this. Because our enemy's real, and, and, Paul, and Peter's writing about that. He says, be alert and be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Are we told to run? No. Look. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Satan's described as this roaring lion, and I don't know if you know much about lions, but they don't go after the strong and the big herd. They go after the weakling that's separated from the herd, and they pick on the one. He, they pick on the ones, and they eat the ones that are separated. They pick in, on the ones that are weak. They pick on the ones that run, not the ones that stand firm. Can I tell you something, what that means? 
because there's two things Satan's trying to do. He's trying to frustrate the life and destroy the life of a believer. And if you're not a believer, he's trying to do just one thing. He's trying to take you with him to hell. See, he already knows where he's going to end up. The moment he lost that war in heaven centuries ago, he knew he was doomed. God threw him to the ground. He humbled him in the dirt, and he knew that his head was going to be crushed. And so his agenda from that day forward is if you don't know God, he wants to keep it that way. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he wants you to not know him. If you've never had your sins atoned for through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that's what he wants you to avoid. Man, we uh, we saw that a couple weeks ago. We have a group, a couple groups that go out on Monday nights. It's called our Gospel Evangelism Training. It's one of the ways we're learning, teaching people how to learn how to share their faith. And so we train people by taking surveys in our community and asking people how we can be a better church and how we can better serve our community and how we can pray for them. But then the questions sort of lead into their faith and we ask people permission. If it's okay, we'd love to share with you the good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So we got into this conversation with a young lady named Lexi. And she didn't know God. She thought that if you're good enough, if you're a good enough person, then you can be okay when the the end of your life comes. And so one of our guys shared the good news with her. And and we were just getting to the end where we were explaining to her that you have a decision to make, that God is waiting on you to respond in faith. And that if you would accept Jesus Christ as the payment for your sin, that you could have life in him and find forgiveness in a relationship with God. And just as we were getting to that place, her mom and her brother, who'd been on a walk, came up to the front door, and she was obviously ticked. And she didn't let us finish our conversation. And she, before she slammed the door, started yelling at her daughter for talking to us. And I, we went away discouraged. And I was just reminded that the enemy's really real. And he didn't want her to respond to that good news. And I couldn't help but think, man, Satan won that round. He's still deceiving her on the wrong path. Yeah, here's what I believe. Satan might have won that round, but he's going to lose that war. He's going to lose that war. I believe that. He's trying to deceive people from knowing Christ as their Lord and Savior, like these three demonstrated today. He doesn't want that to happen in people's lives. And if you're a believer, you've got to understand something. Satan is at war with you. He's, over, he's fighting a war for our minds and for our hearts. He's determined to steal your joy and rob you of peace. He's determined to lie and cheat and steal any way he can in your life. He's determined to keep you from knowing the things God has for you. He's determined to keep you from God's plan for your life. He's determined to do all those things. But here's the good news. He can't do any of those things if we don't let him. He can't do any of those things if we, if we just tell him no. See, we have a bully, this enemy, who refuses to understand that he's been whipped. And so we, you and I, what our job is, is to remind him of what's already happened. To remind him that he's already defeated. To remind him that though he may bruise us, God will ultimately crush him. I got one more verse for you. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
And that's a beautiful promise. God says, you don't have to give in. God says, you don't have to listen. God says, you don't even have to be frustrated by the enemy because he has no power over you. If you resist him, he must, what's the word? Flee. You ever had the enemy tuck tail and run when you stood your ground? Have you ever known the joy of saying, it's time for you to go get out of my life? Because he'll have to go in the power in the name of Jesus Christ. Guys, let me just ask you this. Is life hard? Absolutely. Do, you, do we get frustrated? I know I do. Do you ever feel like giving up? I do occasionally. But the way to overcome what life throws at us isn't a set of rules. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the answer. In Him is our victory, and in Him we possess life in this life and life eternal. If you know Him, if you have a relationship with Christ. And can I tell you plain, if you're not sure, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I can honestly say I have no hope for you. This life will kick you in the teeth, and the next life will be even worse. So here's my plea. If that's you, Don't let Satan take you where he's going. Don't let Satan take you there. It's time to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And and in a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray with me if that's your decision today, that you're ready to trust Christ to forgive you of your sins and to give you life here and now and for eternity. And if you're a believer, I read two passages and both of them said one word. It was resist. If you're a believer this morning, your response may be learned how to stand up to the enemy and take God at his promises and to stand on his word and realize there is no power over you that Satan possesses and that you can have peace and life and hope and joy because Christ has already defeated him. We're going to pray and then the band's going to come up and in the back of the room there's a prayer and decision table. If you've got something that you're struggling with, we'll have people back there praying for you. If you want to help to understand what one of those decisions are going to be while the band is playing and we're singing, just go right back to the back table and they would love to talk with you and pray with you. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we thank you that all these thousands of years ago, Though you cursed Satan, you gave us a promise. And that promise has manifested itself in your eternal son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth, born of a virgin, not cursed under sin, but by the Spirit of God, he lived a perfect life. And because he was sinless, he was able to die on a cross for our sin. And God, all you ask for us in response is to offer back our lives to you by faith. To say yes to Jesus Christ, that his sacrifice, that his death would count on our behalf. And God, this morning as you're speaking to people and they're ready to make that decision that they don't want the enemy to deceive them any longer, but they want a relationship with Jesus Christ. If they'll just call out to Jesus, I need you. I believe you died for me. Say that to him in your heart. And I ask you to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to forgive me of my sins. And with every head down, every eye closed, if you, if you prayed that prayer with me and you're ready to say yes to Jesus Christ, if you would just slip your hand up and let us know about your faith in Christ.
Thank you, God. Praise God. I see you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that faith is simple. God, we thank you that even in the frustrations of life, we can know who our enemy is. That we can resist him in the name of Jesus Christ. The name that is above all names. The name that carries power. Because it's God himself, Jesus Christ. God, as your people, may we learn to call on your name when frustrations come, when temptations come, when anger arises, when relationships are torn. We'll call on the name of Jesus. We'll resist the enemy and watch him flee. God, we thank you that victory is ours through Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.